This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 11, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama continues waging the war on drugs despite the president's own pre-presidential assertions that the war on drugs has been a failure. John McWhorter agrees with that Obama. McWhorter is an associate professor of linguistics at the University of California, Berkeley, and a contributing editor to the Manhattan Institute's City Journal. This is his full speech given at a Cato Institute seminar in New York in October. Thank you to the Cato Institute for having me today. I am going to take an approach to this brief talk that I don't usually take. I am going to read from a script, hopefully not in an off-putting way. I don't usually read, but I think that the message that I have to communicate today is so important and so timely that I want it to come out exactly the way one would put it if one were thinking very hard and alone, and therefore that is writing. So I'm going to begin right here. Many of you are certainly weary of the glum, circular conversation, as we're trained to call it, about race in America. I suspect that you're tired of people telling you that you're a racist when you know that you aren't. You're tired of one group of Americans so often resisting thinking of themselves as individuals rather than as a group deserving of special consideration. You sense a theatricality in the rituals of the issue and the way it's discussed. At least I do, and I want all of this to end, and I think I know how it could. Namely, the main obstacle to getting black America past the illusion that racism is still a defining factor in America is the strained relationship between young black men and police forces. The massive number of black men in prison stands as an ongoing and graphically resonant rebuke to all calls to get past racism, exhibit initiative, or stress optimism. And the primary reason for this massive number of black men in jail is the war on drugs. Therefore, for that reason, if the war on drugs were terminated, the main factor keeping race-based resentment, a core element in the American social fabric, would no longer exist and America would be a better place for all. The war on drugs destroys black families. It has become a norm for black children to grow up in single-parent homes, their fathers away in prison for long spells and barely knowing them. Data are unanimous in showing that children, especially poor ones, do better with two parents. In poor and working class black America, a man and woman raising their children together is, of all things, an unusual sight. We see the black man in dreadlocks or on a do-rag pushing a baby carriage as a welcome sight in its rarity. The war on drugs plays a large part in this and it must stop. The war on drugs discourages young black men from seeking legal employment. Because their illegality keeps the price of drugs high, there are high salaries to be made in selling them. This makes selling drugs a standing, tempting alternative to seeking lower-paying legal employment. The result is usually spells in jail, as well as a failure to build the job skills in legal employment that serves as a foundation for a productive existence in middle and later life. The idea that the problem is an absence of job opportunities is refuted by the simple fact that immigrants, including black ones, regularly make do. 
It's often said that because immigrants have a unique initiative or pluck, as it's often put, in relocating to the U.S. in the first place, that it's unfair to compare black Americans to them. However, the war on drugs has made it impossible to see whether black Americans would exhibit such pluck themselves if drug selling were not a tempting ongoing alternative. High black employment rates in the past gave all indication that black men are no strangers to pluck when circumstances require it, the current ones don't. The war on drugs brings firearms into black lives. Policing turf for selling drugs entails using guns which then go on to become tools of general maintenance of pecking order, including settling petty scores and random displays of machismo. A striking difference between surveys of black ghettos before the war on drugs and today is how common guns are. That should change. The war on drugs lends spending time in prison a badge of honor. To black men involved in the drug trade, enduring prison time, which is regarded as an unjust punishment for merely selling people something they want, with some justification, is seen as a badge of strength. The ex-con becomes a hero rather than someone who went the wrong way. Young black men's fashions are in part a salute to prison garb, do-rags and the hanging pants, etc. If there were no war on drugs, prisoners would become no more cool among black people than they were before the war on drugs was instituted. In the 1920s, black Americans, regardless of class level, did not view black ex-cons as heroes. The reason they do now is the war on drugs that should stop. The war on drugs' harsher penalties for possession of crack rather than powdered cocaine reinforce an impression that there is a quote-unquote war on black men. The truth is that black leaders were in favor of this distinction in the 1980s. However, the man on the street is rarely a historian, whatever color he is. The myth that white legislators pushed through a policy designed to corral black men into the pokey will never die under current conditions. The law is seen as racist, and eliminating the war on drugs would, among so very many other things, extinguish this entire misunderstanding completely. The war on drugs' effects on the black community are impervious, we must understand, to community calls for discipline and leadership. Young black men will not be wooed from selling drugs by black leaders calling for families to take responsibility for their children and keep them off of the streets. There are no national black leaders today who have this kind of influence over any significant portion of black people, and there's simply no chance that the NAACP which is committed to anti-discrimination activities rather than community uplift, would preach in a constructive fashion anytime soon, if ever, and then black America is too diverse today for the NAACP or the National Urban League to ever have any serious effect upon all. The days when the White House could invite a quorum of black people considered representatives of the race is over. If this were attempted today, one can imagine assorted celebrities invited, Oprah Winfrey, Spike Lee, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Marion Wright Edelman, John Lewis, Bill Cosby, and so on and so on. But these people do not determine what black America as a whole thinks or does. These people do not have the wherewithal to translate their verdicts into federal policy. So, 
What will turn black America around for good, and I believe that it's the only thing that will, there is nothing else, is the elimination of a policy that prevents too many people from doing their best. Legalizing marijuana is not interesting here. It's just a start. And reducing the length of sentences for a possession of crack cocaine would address only the tip of the iceberg. While efforts in this vein are laudable, they would not reduce the basic financial incentive for engaging in the drug trade in the first place, and therefore would leave the associated cultural patterns that I've mentioned in place. Since the 1980s, as sentences for possessing or selling drugs have become lengthier, the price of cocaine on the street has become cheaper. Now, make no mistake, I propose that hard drugs, not just marijuana, hard drugs, be available for purchase for prices below anything that could make a living for someone selling them on the street. They should be available in maintenance doses, possibly for free. Resources now tied up in useless enforcement would be used for truly effective rehabilitation programs. Fears of an addiction epidemic are unfounded. None such has occurred, for example, in Portugal, where the drug war has been significantly scaled back. Examples from there continue. Our discomfort with the idea of heroin available at Duane Reed, yes, is similar to that of a prohibitionist shuddering at the thought of bourbon available at the corner store. We'll get over it because we should and we must. We must because the war on drugs creates a lucrative black market industry that tempts too many black men away from doing the right thing. Take that black market away, and for them, survival will require going the right way, and they will, and we will be in a new world. The elimination of the war on drugs would entail, in fact, completing the other half of the rescue of black America that welfare reform contributed in 1996. Open-ended, rather than time-limited welfare, prevented too many black women from doing their best from the late 60s to 1996. The women themselves readily confirm this, and the higher employment rates among them immediately after 1996 proved that this was the case. In 1996, many of us will remember that countless people, very bright and well-intentioned ones, genuinely thought that black women would wind up shivering on sidewalk grates. These people underestimated the basic human resilience of black people. In the same way, if the war on drugs is ended, the same kinds of people will assume that young black men will wander about jobless and starving. They will not, because they are human beings with basic resilience and survival instincts as well. Black America fully understands overall that while racism is not dead, it can't be used as an excuse for failure. Most black people have no problem with Barack Obama saying that he would not want his children to be subjected to racial preferences. Most black people understand that Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson are celebrities rather than leaders. Most black people understand that the main problem for inner city residents is less how white people feel about them than the depredations of black criminals. Yet, there is a single eternal sticking point. This is grievously misunderstood by a lot of people who are very concerned with race in America. There is a single eternal sticking point, and it is nothing but the police. Most black Americans do not think it's okay that even affluent black men are often stopped for drug searches. Most black Americans do not think it's okay that most of the men police officers kill are black. 
attend one of the innumerable forums on the state of black America held all year, every year, all over the United States. There's typically a person or two during the question session who stands up and points these things out as indicating that America remains a racist country. That person is applauded. Now, the panelists who have urged the black community to look inward are considered to have made some good points as well. But the general impression after the forum is that the battle between the racism forever Cassandras and the look inward advocates resulted in a draw. That kind of draw is not the kind that sparks decisive commitment to work in one direction. Nothing changes. I've been watching this for 10 years. Nothing changes, nothing will. Black America has been hosting endless renditions of that forum since the late 60s at universities, in churches, in community centers, and in discussions of race on television and radio. Example, one might point out that most people committing violent crimes in bad inner city neighborhoods are black, but the riposte is that black men have no choice but to turn to crime because of poor schools, inadequate employment opportunities, and so on. One might have objections to that, but few of them are so conclusive as to be open and shut refutations, and the objection generally requires a command of data and literature of the sort that only scholars and wonks can realistically be expected to embrace. The general debate lives on, and all indications from the past 40 years indicate that it cannot be meaningfully resolved. Eliminating the war on drugs would pull the rug out from under all of this. That's why it's so urgent. Let's imagine a black America with no war on drugs. No more gang wars over turf, no more kids shooting each other over sneakers, no more stop the violence rallies, no more agonized discussions about gun possession in the inner city. Quite simply, people who don't sell drugs for a living don't need to kill one another over turf. No more glum speculations about the extent to which black women's romantic choices are shaped by a shortage of black men, no more scholarship showing that women in the ghetto get pregnant out of wedlock because they don't see the black men they know as marriageable. Because there's no war on drugs, there are no more black men up the river proportionally than white, Latino, or Asian. Because the men get jobs, as they did in the old days, even in the worst ghettos, because they have to. Black communities are now full to bursting with men, black women have their pick of them, and we can move on. No more does a privileged man like Henry Louis Gates shout, why, because I'm a black man in America, when questioned by a policeman. Gates's take on being asked why he was breaking and entering into his own house was understandable. In an America with a war on drugs that forces cops to pay special attention to young black men and sometimes older ones. With the war on drugs eliminated, the cops would have no reason to do this, and the understandable paranoia of men like Gates would evaporate. No more calls for a conversation about race with the real intention being that black people get to vent at white people and reveal to them the precious wisdom that racism remains more important than you might think. Because there's no longer a sense that black America is under siege, no one will waste time dreaming of that impossible conversation. The hideous dropout rate among ghetto teens, watch it fall as soon as there's no way to keep money in your pocket without a diploma. The war on drugs gives ghetto males an ever-standing option for making a living without staying in school. Stop snitching, people in the hood proudly say.
withholding information from the police. All of that is about the war on drugs. People in prison for selling drugs are tempted to inform on others in order to shorten their unjust sentences. With no war on drugs, black inner city members would not have such a justification for distrusting cops because they wouldn't encounter them much more than you or I do. With no war on drugs, within a single generation, the concept of people walking around inner cities wearing t-shirts reminding one another not to help the police apprehend the criminals that kill them will seem antique. Black undercover cops are mistaken too often as criminals that would evaporate with no war on drugs. Most people selling drugs in the open air are black. With a war on drugs, this means that black men are the main people that cops must patrol and counter and apprehend. If these cops weren't quicker to see a black man of a certain profile as a criminal than a white one, they would not be human. All humans generalize. Naturally then, in a chaotic situation where a black cop is undercover dressed as a criminal, it will hardly be unknown for white cops to assume that he's one of them. With no war on drugs, this glum situation would be virtually unknown. Do you often get a sense that many black people operate according to a sense that they are not subject to the same rules as everyone else? in terms of civility, achievement, and life plans? I hate to ask that, but I have to because this is important. You probably do, and frankly, you are seeing something real. There is a kind of black person who does feel that the rules are different for us, and what underlies this, although most wouldn't put it in so many words, is the relationship between black men and the police. Ask a black person why they think racism still defines black lives, if they do, and all you have to do is count how many seconds pass before they start talking about the police. Upon which, return to my point here, with no war on drugs, a generation would grow up without that prickly, defensive sense of what being black means. No more exaggeration, no more double talk, no more melodrama, no more formulaic rage, no more staged indignation. Imagine all of the energy wasted on these sorts of things devoted to reality, such as things like schools, diet, and health care. There will be those who say that I am exaggerating the centrality of the war on drugs to black America's problems. I believe they're wrong, and the question we must ask is, what do you suggest? We hope that they don't suggest more of what's been going on for the past 40 years. Sonorous phrasings at forums and meetings and on websites and blogs about responsibility, expectations, institutional racism, and profile articles about individuals making a difference for a few dozen people at a time in a particular city for a few years before life moves them on. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, take a method and try it. If it fails, admit it and try another, but above all, try something. What do you suggest we try instead, I would say to an objector? Community centers? Take a look at the track record on that. Or is it that we have to try a lot of things all at the same time? Well, what else have we been doing for 40 years, and where are we now? He or she who supposes that a random combination of unfocused, usually temporary, and largely ineffective things is preferable to trying something else, is responsible for explaining why, and they could not. 
Let's try something concrete. End the war on drugs and make a better America. This is not about tune in, turn on, drop out. This is not about political partisanship. This is about making black lives better and through that, making America better, and not America in some vague poetic sense, but the daily lives that all of us lead. If we truly want to get past race in this country, we must be aware that it will never happen until the feudal war on drugs so familiar to us now is a memory. All it would take is a single generation of black Americans growing up in a post-prohibition America for us to get where we all want to go. The time to end the war on drugs, therefore, is yesterday. Thank you. John McWhorter is an associate professor of linguistics at the University of California, Berkeley, and a contributing editor to the Manhattan Institute's City Journal. You can find a printed excerpt of this speech you just heard, published as a Cato's Letter at Cato.org.